Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. From the Ledger Newsroom in Lakeland, Florida, this is Backcourt Violation. Our weekly podcast bounces across the basketball universe with your host, Brady Fredrickson. Now, Backcourt Violation. Hello, welcome back. It's Backcourt Violation. It is March 28th. We're in the midst of March Madness. This is Brady at the, the Ledger's currently changing uh, studio here on uh, West Lyman Lakeland. But uh, welcome back. It's been a few weeks. I say it every single time we do this, but I swear at this point we might as well just talk every week and we can just shoot the wind about whatever. Um, but today we've got kind of an interesting mix of, of things, uh, you know, locally. We're out of college basketball teams, uh, for better or for worse. Uh, you know, some early losses, some surprising wins, some middle of the road. Uh, but it's kind of old news at this point. Um, you know, obviously NCAA tournament division one that's going on currently. We've got the final four on Saturday, national championship game on Monday. We will definitely talk about that. Uh, we also have the NBA and it's <laughs> races. I call them races because. Obviously, there's going to be a race to make the playoffs because teams, you know, are playing to do that. But I almost think it's the second most compelling race going on currently in the NBA, and we'll talk about that. Um, but I wanted to start with, uh, you know, the NCAA tournament, and this kind of, you know, moves into the, um, you know, the NBA a little bit too in a roundabout way. But you know, what a crazy last two weeks, I guess I would say, because really, you know, first round, obviously, um, you know, UMBC beating number one overall Virginia, that was the big, that was the big upset and it was the big surprising one. And then, you know, UMBC even having a chance to get to the sweet 16 against Kansas state that ended up being pretty wild as well. Um, but you know, that was the story of the first round was just, you know, the 16 being the one, because really outside of that, we only had one other surprise. The funny thing though, that surprise, of course, is Loyola Chicago. Um, but the funny thing about that bracket is if you look at these regions, the South, the West, the East, and the Midwest, um, you know, the one that had all of the crazy stuff happen in it was, excuse me, it was the South bracket. So, you know, you have Kansas State and UMBC in the second round. That's a surprise because two, you know, upsets, a 9 over an 8, Kansas State beating Creighton in a 16 over a 1. Uh, obviously, UMBC <laughs> ran out of gas because that's what happens when you, you know, look like, essentially Florida Southern, you know, division two level school out there in terms of your size and your speed and things like that. But they played a hell of a game against Virginia. I mean, maybe Virginia played a hell of a game in the wrong way too. But, um, you know, the other side of it, you have, you know, Davidson nearly beat Kentucky. You know, obviously Kentucky ended up making it to the uh, Sweet 16 though. Um, And then Buffalo, you know, destroyed Arizona, which was just a terrible year overall for Arizona with what's, you know, from starting, you know, ranked so highly and, you know, having DeAndre Ayton, who's, you know, probably going to be, 
the first or second overall pick in the NBA draft to to losing a bunch of games in a row to the FBI thing to you know they just had the most bizarre season I can think of in recent years and they ended up going into the tournament as a four seed they were a very trendy team to make it to the final four or at least the elite eight and of course they blew it in the first round and lost to, to Buffalo by uh, 21 which was pretty embarrassing you know the other one yeah Loyola Chicago um, a team that beat the University of Florida early this year that's why I picked them was based entirely on their win in Gainesville uh, early in the season but you know Loyola beat Miami they beat Tennessee, they beat Nevada, and then they finally just pounded Kansas State in the Elite Eight. Now they're in the Final Four against Michigan, uh, who another team I picked to make the Final Four, you know, the only one I got right. Um, but they are, you know, the hottest team coming into the tournament probably. Uh, they won the Big Ten tournament. They've got a handful of guys who are really good. I think, you know, Mo Wagner is a really good big guy who can stretch the floor, and he hasn't even played great recently he didn't play well versus florida state at all and they still won uh and then charles matthews is a guy that came from kentucky who has had trouble kind of fitting into a system uh like what john beeline runs at michigan where it's not really revolving around one guy and matthews is the kind of guy who really you know gets his shot and scores and that's his game and so you know there's been a lot of things written about that but he's had to adjust his game a lot and adjust his mentality but you know he was big in that game too and so you know, Michigan Loyola, that'll be an awesome game. It's the early one, of course, because it's Loyola. <laughs> but I think that'll be really the best game we see. Um, I really do think that uh, on Saturday, even though we've got Villanova and Kansas on the other side, I think, you know, Villanova's the best team left, and I think Villanova will win that game. You know, Kansas doesn't shoot free throws well, they have a really good guard in Devontae Graham. But I just think overall, Villanova's deep, you know, their experience, they have, you know, all the things that, you know, check the boxes for most people when you try and pick a team that goes to the final four and eventually wins the championship. So Villanova is the team that I kind of think will win that. But, you know, I would love to see Loyola win again. And I'm not sure it's going to happen because Michigan's, you know, so diverse offensively in terms of there being four or five guys to guard on the court at any given time. Um, you know, but then again, Michigan's a bad free throw shooting team. Kansas is a bad free throw shooting team. Those two, you know, have gotten here despite that. It almost bit Michigan against Florida State, but they found a way. Um, and so I'll be interested to see if Loyola, you know, finds a way, which they seem to be pretty good at, <laughs> finding a way to get past teams. You know, if they can beat Michigan and get to that final game against probably Villanova, in my opinion, but it would be an interesting game because I think Villanova is just so much more talented, but that's been the case every single time Loyola stepped on the court. They've been at a disadvantage talent wise, but uh, their coach Porter Moser has done a really good job of, you know, just keeping them doing what they do. And you don't really see anything change with Loyola. Maybe that's why they've won by two points, by one point, by one point, And then of course by 16, they just stick to their guns and whatever works works. But, um, you know, the funny thing about this is we look at kind of the way this works. And I think when teams in the NCAA tournament, you know, make these little Cinderella runs, you know, we haven't seen one like Loyola Chicago probably since uh, the first Butler run with Brad Stevens and in company back in, I think that would have been 2008 or 2009. Uh, that was probably the last time we really saw this double digit seed come out of nowhere and do this. And obviously, there's been plenty of teams that have, have made memorable runs. You know, Florida Gulf Coast had theirs. That was, I think, only to the Sweet 16, though. Um, you know, VCU had a run like this. George Mason famously had a run like this, the Elite Eight, I believe. But this is one of those ones where you look at these teams and we always think, you know, this is a small school and 
obviously they don't have the the funds or the you know boosters and all the stuff that you you get at a big school that that you really don't necessarily think about you know Loyola Chicago is not going to be Michigan ever in anything they're not going to be Villanova they're not going to be Kansas you know the best thing about Loyola Chicago from a recruiting standpoint is probably the fact that they're in Chicago, but and they're going to get their own basketball arena soon or the facility soon. But we always jump to this conclusion of, okay, it happened a lot with UMBC as we look at UMBC say, okay, where's their coach going to go next? And I think that's kind of a lazy way to look at it in terms of saying this team, you know, won. So when will their coach leave? Like Ryan Odom's a young guy who I believe, you know, has only been a head coach for at the division one level for a handful of years. And, uh, you know, it, it, it maybe they don't leave. And that's where it comes back to Loyola. Whereas, I mean, yeah, if the guy at UMBC, Rhino, if he gets an offer to go to a power five school, you go, because that's a very, very small level. But Loyola, I mean, you know, being in Chicago, being in a place where, you know, high academic standards at a school like that, but you know, why would he, why would Porter Moser, the coach at Loyola want to leave right now? I mean, I can see that if a gigantic job just came up and threw three million dollars a year, I'm sure, of course. But Brad Stevens made you know turn chicken sal- or chicken chicken, you know what, into chicken salad at Butler in terms of bringing them from being just a good mid major to one of the great programs in college basketball. And uh, you know, we've seen that at different schools throughout this. I think it's hard to call. Xavier at this point, anything like a mid-major or call Gonzaga a mid-major because they put so much money into their basketball programs. But I mean, Chris Mack, who's obviously now leaving for Louisville, which $4 million a year will do, uh, you know, he did that with Xavier. You know, Xavier went from being a nice program under, you know, Fad Mata, had them playing really well before he went to Ohio State. Now they, you know, are one of the top programs in, you know, the country. And then you look at Gonzaga, you know, that's been what? 10 to 12 years now of them being a high level team. And obviously they came one win away from the national championship last year. So I don't think that we should necessarily expect coaches when they make these Cinderella runs to leave, you know, it's possible. I don't know what Porter Mosier's, you know, I guess you always have to look at coaches roots and see where they're from and things like that. I mean, when the alma mater comes calling, it's always hard, but you know, Brad Stevens waited and waited and waited. And, you know, for a long time we thought, the only job he would leave for was Indiana because he's an Indiana guy. And then we looked at, um, you know, Shaka Smart was a guy at VCU who waited and waited and waited. And of course, the, you know, when he finally left, it was to go to Texas. And that's, you know, it's hard to to go against, you know, Texas, Austin, you know, the money, the fans, the everything that comes with that. So, I mean, I think it comes down to some of these guys really looking for the perfect situation. Whereas, you know, the Florida Gulf Coast coach, uh, Andy Enfield, he was, I think USC came calling right after that tournament and he was gone. Um, you know, and he's done pretty well there. I think they've gotten in some some hot water in terms of recruiting things as well. But, you know, that's the situation you're in. So with Porter Mosher, I'm really interested to see this because you see these guys make these runs and when it ends for some time some of these teams, it just sometimes feels like that's the end of it for good. Like, you know, if Loyola loses to Michigan on Saturday and then Porter Mosher leaves for school X you know, is that the last time we ever hear of Loyola Chicago? It's possible. That's the kind of the, that's just the way that these little schools work. You know, I mean, as fun as UMBC was, I don't think we're ever going to think of UMBC again, you know, winning a first round game just based on all the factors that go into that. And it maybe, I mean, you know, another guy is Greg Marshall at Wichita State. Wichita State's made a couple big runs. They lost in the first round this year. Um, and, you know, he's been there for a long time, but, you know, 
sometimes it's good to stay where you're at. Sometimes it's good to leave. You know, it'll be interesting to see if, if Mosier leaves Loyola, no matter what they do. I mean, obviously, if they win the national championship, I think, I, I don't know, that's unprecedented to see that would happen because the only times we've come close is Mark Few almost won at Gonzaga and Brad Stevens almost won at Butler. But, yeah, it's just really interesting to look at. And it kind of leads into this. So we look at these small schools, these Cinderella's, these nobodies who make it, you know, make themselves into somebodies. And then we see the teams that are, you know, traditional powers that are, you know, built around, you know, the top recruits, the one-and-done kids, and or one-and-done or basically two-and-done, you know, guys who've come back. But I think it's funny we look at, you know, for example, Arizona, you know, DeAndre Ayton, the best one-and-done kid in the country this year. <laughs> They went there and lost by 21 to a team in the Mac and he's going to leave and he's going to be better in the NBA because of it, because that's just how it works. You know, guys who guys who most more often than not, the guys who dominate college basketball are the ones who really end up starring in the NBA as freshmen. You know, the only exception to that in the last maybe decade of guys who really came in as freshmen and just dominated and then went to the NBA and did not have the same level of success would be Michael Beasley at Kansas state when he went, you know, the same year as I believe Derek Rose, uh, you know, Michael Beasley has not had the quite the career we expected coming out, but he's obviously still around nearly 10 years later. But, um, but yeah, these one and done kids, I mean, Arizona, you know, Deandre Ayton, they were one and done, um, you know, Mo Bamba, another really good, talented, big guy who just looks like an octopus on the court at Texas. You know, they lost in the first round. Um, who else do we have? I'm trying to think of who else sticks out to me. Uh, you know, Duke. Duke was a team full of, you know, one-and-done kids. And, of course, they had Grayson Allen, who was probably the one veteran on the team. Uh, you know, they came up short of the Final Four. Um, you know, the same thing kind of applies to uh, 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 Michigan State a little bit. Jaron Jackson is a guy who's going to be a top-five pick. And Miles Bridges was a guy who probably would have been a top-five or six pick last year had he come out. And so – there's just I, I saw an article somewhere i think it was in the athletic where somebody had written that you know people who champion the whole college basketball these kids are great it's about the kids it's about the four-year players the great coaching things like that and you know this is good that the final four doesn't have you know a bunch of one and done kids but you know the point they made i think it was brian bennett said that you know one and done teams need structure too you know there's you know the teams that just have five one and done guys aren't going to be the ones that usually win you know kentucky when they've won their championships has been with juniors who've been around a couple of those teams and have that experience or duke you know that team that had a veteran in grayson allen that maybe needed one more guy like that who they could really lean on um and so you just kind of look at that and it's it's funny to kind of juxtapose that versus you know now we look at the nba side and, and you look at kind of how you know, all these one and done kids, you know, Michael Porter Jr. at Missouri, another one, you know, they were lost in the first round, you know, guys who, you know, really at the start of the year were the ones that everybody wanted to see them. Everyone was excited about because they're, you know, these hotshot prospects coming in and they're going to spend one year and they're going to be gone. And Trey Young, another one, Oklahoma. See, now they're all popping in my head, but that's funny because we go to the NBA now and we have these two races, the playoff race, which with, I believe only like 10 games to go. If, if not more, so 40, 75, seven games to go for most, seven to eight games. You know, a lot of the races are close of the, among the teams that are in the playoffs, but among teams that aren't, it's just not even, there's nothing. There's no real captivating thing. I mean, the Eastern Conference is 99% set. Well, actually, let's check. According to ESPN, the 
Eastern Conference playoff race is ninety-eight point two percent set. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks currently the eighth seed at uh, um, thirty-nine wins this year, thirty-nine and uh, thirty-five. They have a ninety-eight point two percent chance to make it. That leaves the uh, ninth-seeded Detroit Pistons with a one point five percent chance. Uh, and so the East is pretty much set. I think the only way that Detroit can get in over Milwaukee is if Detroit wins out. Milwaukee loses out, and somehow I think Detroit's max are at 34 and 40. The maximum they can win is 42. So Milwaukee would have to finish with 41 wins or less, and Detroit would have to literally win all their games. So not going to happen. And Charlotte's right there with one, you know half game back farther, but they're not going to make it either. So you know the the East is set, and that's the funny thing is the East is set, the West is set. We'll talk about that in a sec. But you go to the other race, which is kind of you know, the pitiful, but also entertaining one is that all of these teams that are trying to lose on purpose, which is a lot. And it's not even that they're losing on purpose per se, but they would be okay with losing is the better way to describe tanking. Isn't losing on purpose because I don't think any players, you know, specifically guys on some of these teams, like, you know, with Orlando, for instance, they're trying, they mean Orlando went into this season trying to win games. They wanted to make the playoffs and it just, all fell apart on them. But there's a guy, Rodney Purvis, who spent 99% of the season with the Lakeland Magic. And, you know, he just signed a multi-year deal today with them. And obviously, when when Rodney Purvis gets on the court for the Orlando Magic, or guys in that ilk get on the court for these teams, they're playing their butts off trying to win. And they want to just do well. I don't think it matters to them the next draft pick because that next draft pick is probably going to take their roster spot if all things work out. So, you know, for me, it's – it's not that tanking is as gross as much. It's just this this season in particular has just been nuts for it because, you know, if you could just go down the list, you can say, you know, the Phoenix Suns have been tanking from day one. Memphis has been tanking from the moment Mike Conley broke his foot, I believe. Um, you know, Atlanta has been tanking from day one. Orlando has been tanking from about November on. Uh, Brooklyn was trying to be good for a little bit, and then they obviously regressed, and now they are you know, back to tanking and that pick doesn't even go to them. That pick goes to the Cleveland Cavaliers. So, you know, what was event, what was at one point looking like the 10th or 11th pick for Brooklyn is down to fifth, which is great for the Cavs, especially considering their uncertainty with LeBron, you know, Dallas has been tanking the entire season. Sacramento has been tanking for like the last 10 years. (laughs) Chicago has been tanking the entire season. And the only reason Chicago wasn't lower is because they actually have good young pieces already. And they, they might be the team, among all of these teams, Phoenix, Memphis, Atlanta, Orlando, Brooklyn, Dallas, Sacramento, Chicago. Chicago has a good coach. Dallas has a good coach. Brooklyn has a good coach. Atlanta does. That's it. Like Mike Budenholzer is a good coach in Atlanta. He's won 60 games. He comes from the Spurs tree. He's He knows what he's doing. Uh, Kenny Atkinson, another guy at Brooklyn, he knows what he's doing. He's a, you know, a talent developer. You know They've gotten a lot out of guys who are on most teams, scrap heaps, Spencer Dimwitty being the main one. Um, Rick Carlisle's got a championship and he's won, you know, 50, 60 games with multiple teams throughout his career. And I think Fred Hoiberg's an okay coach. I don't think he's bad. I think Fred Hoiberg is the type of coach in Chicago where he has all these young guys and, you know, he's going to get another blue chipper this year with this draft. And I think, you know, you add that to him. I think he comes from a college, you know, background, obviously at Iowa state where he was so successful. And I think he, uh, He's better with teaching than he is coaching, if that makes sense. Some coaches are just better at player development than they are 
the X's and O's of a veteran team. It's kind of like the old thing. It's you know with Chicago actually, and also the Clippers. You know, Vinny Del Negro was a te- was a coach who, you know, played I think ten twelve years in the NBA, and you know I think he's probably five hundred for his career as a coach, but he was a guy that was just really good at getting the best out of the young team and getting them to the playoffs or to the point where they're competitive and where they're starting to show potential as being a team with a future. And then you step in, you replace them with somebody else. You know, that's what happened with Vinny Del Negro in Chicago was he got the Bulls to the playoffs. They pushed the Boston Celtics at that point to seven games in the first round. You know, that was when Ben Gordon went off and it was just a crazy, (laughs) crazy, crazy series. After that, they fire and they hire Tom Thibodeau, and Thibodeau brings them to the Eastern Conference Finals. And so, you know, some guys like that. And Frank or Fred Hoiberg does feel sort of in that in that you know range. And those are probably the eight teams that are really trying to lose at this point. You know, New York is still kind of, I think, trying to be just a basketball team. The Lakers are trying to be better. Their picks going to go to Philly no matter what at this point, um, unless they get really lucky. Uh, you know, the Hornets, the Pistons, the Nuggets, and the Clippers are all trying to make the playoffs. And, uh, you know, for this reason or that, they're just not just not good enough to do it. Um, and that kind of just leads you into the playoff race itself because, you know, those four teams are all we've got. You know, the Lakers are not close to the playoffs in the West. Charlotte and Detroit are only close to the playoffs in the East because it's the East. And even so, they're five games back. And then Denver and L.A., I mean, the Clippers were – a borderline playoff team with Blake Griffin and they remain that now with kind of the you know spare parts and Tobias Harris that they got from Detroit but you know even so they're just a team that's been beat up and injured all year and you know I don't think they're trying to person you know they're not trying to win a championship at this point you know making the playoffs would be great but I think they're more interested in where Detroit finishes because they'll get that first round pick you know if it doesn't land in the top four and Denver's a team that everybody including myself everyone thought was going to be a playoff team and they've just kind of i can't say they flopped because they're 40 and 35 but it definitely has been a disappointing year and part of that's because paul Millsap has been hurt he missed a lot of time with a broken hand or a broken wrist and uh you know they still don't play a lick of defense that's the biggest problem is denver can't stop anybody um and so, you know, you can score as many points as you want, and Jokic can get as many triple-doubles as he wants, but until they learn to stop somebody, you know, I don't think you're going to be able to to parlay that into, um, you know, a playoff spot yet. And the funny thing is, if you think back, you know, well, there's been so many teams over the years that have been so offensively heavy on one end and then so weak defensively. And, you know, Denver kind of fits into the mold of, like, when I think back to, like, the early Dirk Nowitzki you know, Mavericks teams that were so good offensively, but just stunk on defense. And they somehow still were winning 60 games. And here Denver sits with the, you know, the potential to win 47 games and miss the playoffs. But, you know, it's just funny how the league changes and how even, you know, bad defensive teams are still, you know, you can be good offensively, but you need to be great to overcome, you know, bad defense like Denver stuck in, which just isn't the case. But, you know, the funny thing is this playoff race will shake out. And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, Golden State Warriors are missing everybody right now. I'm pretty sure Kevin Durant is the only healthy one. Draymond Green's been banged up. Steph Curry is out until the playoffs. Klay Thompson has a broken wrist still. So they're probably going to finish second. And then the Rockets are going, Houston Rockets are going to finish first. And they're going to have home court. And they've won 10 games in a row and they look awesome. And, they're probably the most fun team to watch in the league this season. Um, 
but it's going to come down to those two in the West. And really that's going to be the NBA finals is if those two meet in the Western conference, when they meet the, what, not if <laughs> it's not a matter of if, when those two meet in the Western conference finals, it's going to be, uh, you know, for the title essentially, because I don't think anybody else in the West is a serious threat. The thunder have really been underwhelming over the past, you know, month or so after getting off to a slow start. I mean, they still have 44 wins and they're still going to get home court. It looks like, or at least be in position to, but you know, I don't think they're a real threat. Uh, New Orleans, I just saw New Orleans play a few weeks back Had they had DeMarcus cousins still, they probably would be the third seed right now. Maybe they'd be right behind golden state, even closer than the Portland trailblazers. But I don't think the Pelicans with just Anthony Davis are going to be able to uh, get where they want to be this year. And then you got the Spurs who are in a weird spot. The Spurs are kind of sixth. That's the Spurs haven't been the sixth seed, I think, since probably about two thousand and nine or two thousand ten. It's been a long time since the Spurs no, before that even. Two thousand and yeah, probably about two thousand the late two thousands. And that was the last time they were down there. And obviously they rebounded pretty quickly after that when Kawhi Leonard kind of be blossomed into a star. And now they're kind of just waiting for him to come back to rescue them, it seems like. They still play great defense, but they can't score. And it just feels like they're a team that if they get back, you know, if they go into the playoffs and they never get Kawhi Leonard back, <clears throat> the Portland Trailblazers probably would beat them as the three versus the six. But if they get Kawhi Leonard back and if they find a way to hang out at that six seed, I think San Antonio will beat Portland pretty handily. And Portland's, you know, really good. I mean, they've got, you know, probably got the best backcourt outside of Golden State in Houston in the league. And, you know, a lot of their role players have really stepped up and become, you know, more than that. I think, you know, a guy like Mo Harkless, who's actually hurt right now, injured his knee. He was a guy that really started to blossom this year. And then, you know, Yusef Nurkic is a guy who I think has had spurts of being very productive, but he's kind of more, you know, statistics over substance in terms of, you know, his impact isn't always felt as strongly as his stats may look. Um, and he's had a better season in that regard too. And they're just a balanced deep team. So, I mean, they've got guys, they can just throw waves at you. They're always going to have either Damian Lillard or CJ McCollum on the court, which helps to alleviate any sort of droughts or, or anything that may come with all that depth. So yeah, Portland's a team that's good. I don't think they're going to make it very far, but then Utah, I think Utah has just been red hot over the last two months in, you know, Donovan Mitchell's the best true rookie in the league this year, but I don't think they have a chance against Golden State. That's going to be a really fun series, though, to watch those two play. And then Minnesota Timberwolves are a team that's really dropped off. They just lost to the the Memphis Grizzlies, who are definitely not in it to win it right now. Uh, and so Memphis is the you know second worst team in the league, and Minnesota is hanging on to that eight seed by a game and a half right now for the Clippers. And I think Minnesota is still going to get in because I think they'll eventually get Jimmy Butler back. And that'll obviously give them a boost, but I still don't think they can beat Houston. If they were somehow able to move up two spots to the six seed and then get Jimmy Butler back and go to Portland, they would win. I think. I think that's big enough to shift that sh- that series. But unless that happens, I don't. I don't really foresee that. And then, you know, we go to the East. You know, Toronto's going to have the number one seed. It looks like Boston, which is falling apart in terms of just injuries, is in the second seat pretty handily. Cleveland sitting at third. Cleveland's Cleveland. I don't know. They have LeBron. They're very unenthusiastic to me. It just doesn't really, nothing really pops about them right now. Uh, Philadelphia, one game back. And people have really, really jumped on this. Philadelphia could make the NBA Finals bandwagon, which I think is just so wild because 
Oh, a lot of reasons, but just in general because, you know, it was they they really killed Denver. That was the night that really kind of set the fire off in terms of this. And you know, Philly's got great. You know, Joel Embiid's a great player. Ben Simmons, great player. But there's a, it's different in the playoffs. And we and you know, I say that, and I, I sit here and right now, if you tell me who do you think's gonna make it to the finals, I would honestly say Toronto. And we talk about the playoffs, and Toronto's a team that literally. You know, craps the bed every year almost in the in the playoffs. Obviously, they've made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. That was kind of the breakthrough, but they are very notorious. And you know, Kyle Lowry is a guy who does not play well in the playoffs. And you know, Demar Derozan. You know, when the playoffs come around, it's harder for an isolation scorer who loves shooting mid range jumpers to really carry you. It's good at the end of the game because it can get you a bucket when you need it. But you know, Toronto's a team that I think should win the East, and I think a Toronto Houston. NBA Finals would be so awesome. It would be so much fun. There'd be so many points, and I think it would be really refreshing for the league to have two different teams. And you know, it may be kind of a an issue to some people that you know Houston obviously has you know two Hall of Fame caliber players and James Harden and Chris Paul, but then you look at Toronto and people know who Demar Derozan is and people know who Kyle Lowry is, but they don't know them. They're not of the same stature in terms of being super duper stars like the other two. I think it would be a very fun series. I think it would be a lot of the kind of, you know, despite the fact that Toronto is 55 wins right now, they'd be such a heavy underdog no matter who they played. You know, Boston would be the same way, and it would be a little bit insufferable if Boston made it without Gordon Hayward and with all their injuries and stuff. It'd be a heck of a story. Um, but, you know, as good of a coach as Brad Stevens is, I don't think that he can even carry them you know, through this playoffs, especially considering they would have to play LeBron in the second round. And, uh, you know, that wouldn't be great either. So (laughs) I don't know. The more I talk about it, the more I can see this Philadelphia thing being like not realistic or not even something I expect, but I can at least see why people think that. But then I look at the other side of it. So Philly's sitting in fourth right now at 43 wins. Indiana is tied with them and they, and they're one game back in the loss column. The Pacers are good. Like Victor Oladipo, as good as Joel Embiid is, you know Victor Oladipo has probably been just as impactful for his team. And I mean, you know, I don't think there's anybody on Philadelphia that's going to guard him well. I mean, you know, Covington's a good defender for Philadelphia, but he's not going to shut down Victor Oladipo. And Indiana's got a lot of size, and they've got a lot of guys, and they can shoot the ball. And you know, if Indiana and Philadelphia played in the first round, that would be honestly the funnest series for me among all these playoff teams, specifically just because you know it's a kind of rising star in Oladipo versus a rising star in uh in Embiid and I think Indiana could beat Philadelphia and that would kind of put the kibosh on this whole Philadelphia could make the finals thing and then you get Washington Washington's a bolotomy Washington versus Cleveland would be a very I don't know how to describe it even like I don't want that series like I don't think that would be fun to watch like John Wall would come back and obviously Washington's Potentially, I don't know. We're very everyone's very undecided on whether Washington's actually better with John Wall or not, and they were better without him for a little bit, and obviously they've regressed back, and now they're kind of like teetering on that. They could fall down to eighth potentially, and there's actually like a very very outside chance they could miss the playoffs, but that's like zero point two five percent. But you know, Washington and Cleveland would be interesting series. I think Miami and Cleveland would be a better series because I would always wanted LeBron after he left Miami and went to Cleveland to have to come back to Miami and play a playoff series just because it would be such a crazy atmosphere. And because Miami actually has had success against Cleveland since LeBron has come back. And even last night they won and they've obviously got, you know, 
old friend Dwayne Wade back, and that kind of adds to the nostalgia and adds to the rivalry a little bit. And you know, I think that'd be a dangerous series for the Cavs. You know, I say that, and you know, obviously LeBron is going to be a completely different player come next month. But seriously, that would be a series that would be really fun, and that would put us with Washington, Boston, which is this really terrible, like salty rivalry, which is not really based on anything on the court except for last year. I guess they played two game seven, but. You know, overall, they're just two teams that don't like each other, and that would be an, a pretty great series too. And then we've got Milwaukee and Toronto, which kind of would give us, you know, Giannis and Anetokounmpo, Giannis and Anetokounmpo versus everything Toronto has to offer. And I think that probably would be too much for Milwaukee, considering they're still limping along here with an interim coach. But you know, it would be at least fun to see Giannis in the big stage. You know, after his breakout this year too. So. You know, there's a lot of good series that could happen. I think, you know, things need to happen. But I mean, you know, for me, the best series would be, you know, to watch. I would really like to see Cleveland, Miami, and I think Philly, Indiana would be really fun. And then on the West side, I think, uh, you know, Golden State and Utah could be a lot of fun. And so could uh, Minnesota and Portland in the first round. Those those would be ones where I don't think you'd necessarily pencil an upsets or anything like that, but it would definitely be an interesting matchup. But I think that's all we've got today. Uh, Going to throw in there the Lakeland Magic playing the NBA G League playoffs on Saturday. They will be at uh, in Erie, Pennsylvania against the Bayhawks. Um, it's, it's weird this time of year. Teams are losing players, specifically these G League teams are just losing their guys to the NBA. So you know, Rodney Purvis isn't going to be at the Magic, so that's going to hurt them. But uh, Josh McGetty's a guy who led the G League in assists this year at about 10 per game, and he's not going to be there for Erie either. So, you know, it's it's a weird thing considering guys, you know, going up and down to the NBA and this and that. But, you know, the Lakeland Magic are playing really good basketball right now, and it's a one-game playoff, so it's kind of NCAA tournament-esque in terms of, you know, win today, play Monday, win Monday, you make it to the finals, and then you've got a best of three. So, It'll be interesting to see the Lakeland Magic were less than a game behind Erie this season for the division lead, so that game could be played here if things play out a little bit differently. But, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. That's on Saturday, uh, 3.30 p.m. on ESPN News, so if you want to check that out, it'll be there. Uh, we'll have a story of some kind on our website later that night. I'll have an advance of uh, the game in the paper on Saturday. You can find that on Twitter. You can follow me there, at Brady, B-R-A-D-Y, underscore Fred, and uh, that's all we've got. So thanks for checking it out. Uh, if you got any questions, concerns, any ideas for podcast stuff, you know, send me a tweet and we'll chat it up. So uh, I'm Brady. This is a uh, backcourt violation. Uh, we'll see you next time. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.